the clients, the tenant buyers in the homes are actually going to be responsible for all the maintenance, upkeep, and, and taking care of the property. But we're also following up with them. Typically quarterly, we're visiting the property, making sure all the general maintenance is taken care of. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey everybody, it is Sarah Larby and we've got not only a special guest today, but a special guest host as well, Aisha Govani. Welcome. Hey Sarah, thank you so much for having me back on the show. Yeah, you know what? I'm excited because you are becoming my sidekick for these and like at some point you might be doing your own interviewing on the podcast and uh, you're also a real estate investor, which is awesome, but I, I definitely, you know, like doing these with uh, with a co-host and you had lots of great questions. So we have Alfonso Salemi, my co-host for The Right Club, but we actually talked to him about JEG Properties, which is a rent to own strategy. I mean, they probably have about 250 to 300 deals at this point, potentially more. I feel every time I talk to him, it's a whole lot more and, and they've been very successful completing these rent own programs. Um, anything that you think that was key or insightful in the conversation that we had with Alfonso today? Yeah, I think just learning more about his rent to own program and kind of seeing how it can help not only uh, people who want to be homeowners, we know the economy is getting tougher, we know the market is getting harder to get into. And a lot of people want to buy their own homes, and it's not as easy as it used to be. And I think this program gives people an opportunity to, you know, buy their own home, take their time. And it appears that, you know, um, Jag and the, and the Jag team and Alfonso are giving people an opportunity to do that. And I also think as an investor, it seems like a good game too, something that I would definitely look into and kind of see if the ROI makes sense for me and, and what my strategy is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Very thoughtful. So before we bring in Alfonso though, and, and, and learn about rent to own and all the great insights, let's hear from Dahlia Barsoom at Streetwise Mortgages on her tip of the week for us real estate investors. Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and on today's episode, I would like to share a fresh-from-the-oven update on re-advanceable mortgages. On Tuesday, June the 28th of 2022, OSFI, the regulator of Canada's banking system, has proposed changes to the re-advanceable mortgage products. Due to rising concerns about the Canadian household debt and the real estate environment ahead, to remind you, a re-advanceable mortgage has two or more components, an amortizing mortgage component and a revolving line of credit component. It is a strategic product for many real estate investors whereby you can get a mortgage with a dynamic line of credit attached to it. And as you pay down the principal of the mortgage, any principal pay down advances to the line automatically, increasing its limit by an equivalent amount. For example, if you have an advanceable mortgage and you've paid down this month $1,000 of principal, that $1,000 becomes accessible to you on the line of credit. Under the new changes, OSFI is restricting what can be advanced on the line. Once OSFI's new guideline is implemented, all principal payments to any mortgage portion above 65% loan-to-value must be used to reduce the total global limit of the advanceable mortgage until such a time that limit is at 65% or less. So staying away from the jargon, essentially 
using payments to reduce debt until such a time where the global limit of the loan hits 65% or less before you can reaccess the paydown. This rule will take effect on all new readvanceable mortgage applications and approvals effective October 31st or December 31st of 2023, depending on the lender's physical year end. For existing readvanceable mortgages, this rule would come into effect at the time of the mortgage renewal if it is after October or December. Let's look at an example. Let's say you have a house with a value of a million dollars and that you have a readvanceable product for 80% of the value. That is $800,000 in total. Divided into two components, a mortgage component for $700,000, which is 70% of the value, and a line of credit component for $100,000, representing the remaining 10%. Under the current rules, if you make a $100 principal payment on the mortgage, you can immediately reborrow that $100 from the line of credit. Under the new rules, you can't. You can't access the principal pay down until you have paid down the total combined loan to 65% of the value, which is $650,000. Using the same example of a home valued at a million dollars, let's say that you now have a readvanceable mortgage that is broken into three components. Component number one is for $150,000, which is 15% of the value in the form of a mortgage. Component number two is for $250,000, which is 25% of the value, also in the form of a mortgage. And component number three is for $400,000, which is 40% of the value, in the form of a line of credit. Under the current rules, if you pay down the principal on any of the mortgage components, your line of credit grows by the same amount automatically until the line of credit eventually gets to 65% of the value. Under the new rules, remember, any payments on a mortgage above 65% loan-to-value cannot advance to the line. So if you pay down $100 on component number one mentioned earlier, you won't get that money on the line of credit. Why? Because between component number two and component number three, you are at 65% of the value. But you would get the pay down on component number two. Why? Because between component number one and three, you have room to advance as they are currently at 55% of the value. How does this affect you as an investor? If you're applying for a new advanceable mortgage with a federally regulated bank, it is important to plan the mortgage versus line of credit components going forward. So you can continue to benefit from the advance of the mortgage pay down sooner than later. And if you currently have an existing advanceable mortgage on one or more properties with a federally regulated bank, you may benefit from restructuring the product before the new guidelines kick in to avoid a situation where limits are imposed automatically on the features you can access at the time of renewal. If you have a readvanceable mortgage on one or more properties or you wish to discuss the impact of this change on your ability to access capital or solutions to help you pivot, contact our team at Streetwise Mortgages at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. 
Awesome. Dahlia, thank you so much. That was great. And folks reach out to Streetwise Mortgages and they will be able to help you structure your portfolio and get on your way to leaving the nine to five or whatever else your goals might be. On that note, why don't we bring in Alfonso at this point, Aisha? What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. Alfonso, welcome. How are you? I am doing great, Sarah. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for having me on today. It's, uh, it is interesting because we co-host The Right Club together. And, uh, and today, Aisha is ho- co-hosting with me. And uh, you are in the hot seat. I am excited. And uh, Aisha, you are in great hands. I remember when uh, we had first started doing podcasts together, Sarah and I, and uh, she's been a great, uh, great teacher, great mentor for me of, uh, of doing these types of interviews. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for it, Aisha. Let's have at it. All right. We're really going to grill you today about rent to own. So let's talk about your strategy. Let's talk about, you know, what you've got. I know you've been on the podcast before and you know, we, we've talked a little bit about rent to own and how you got started, but why don't you just let, let's, let's do this. Why don't we pick up from COVID and the pandemic and what's been happening and how you've managed your rent to own business. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of rewind back to middle of March of, you know, well, at the time of recording this two years ago of March of 2020. And yeah, everybody stay home. It was like, oh my God, the end of the world, the apocalypse, everybody that was talking about. And for me personally, I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen on April 1st when everybody's got to pay this rent? And at the time, I think we were managing somewhere around 80, 90, maybe close to a hundred rent to own projects at that time. And everybody's staying home and nobody's going to work. There's some, you know, essential workers for sure in that mix, but I was like, what is going to happen? So, you know, we had, you know, zoom calls with our investors, uh, one-on-one phone calls. We kind of split up our list of tenant buyers, reaching out, touching base with all of them, just to see, first of all, how they were doing, what's going on, how they were coping. Uh, but then really to kind of make some payment plans, for those clients that are in the rental program, but, you know, weren't able to go to work. There wasn't all the, you know, the, the government programs that eventually came out and, and how they were going to pay. But uh, yeah, that was kind of right at the beginning of the co- of COVID. And uh, yeah. And at that point there, yeah, we, a lot of our, our tenant buyers were worried that like, Oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to pay. You're going to take our home back. We're not gonna be able to buy it. And we had to reassure them. The whole reason we start these rent to home programs, uh, the reason why we do what we do is to help people own their home. Bottom line, that's what we want to do. So we tried to work out the best that we could, all the payment plans, different things that were going on uh, with, with people. And yeah, sure enough, you know, as we got through 2020, um, most people were able to kind of catch up on payments to get onto those government assistant programs, get their programs back on track. You know, we had to extend some programs and then obviously the real estate market just went insane. Like obviously there was a nice healthy increase of appreciation up until uh, COVID, but then yeah, like 20% increase, 25% increase, everything went nuts and kind of, you know, I guess a cool thing is a lot of our clients were able to buy out early because of the appreciation in the home. They were actually able to qualify based on, you know, the value of their home just went right through the roof and they were able to buy back with a lot of equity uh, throughout that pro- throughout that term. So I guess to kind of sum it all up, yeah, it was kind of really scary at the beginning. We thought, oh my God, no one's going to be able to pay. You know, we kind of got stabilized and, you know, people got onto payment plans and, and catch up with their programs. And then kind of in the middle of last year, 2021, in the end of the year, beginning of this, a lot of clients were able to buy out early because of just the, the massive appreciation that they had in all these programs. And 
now we're, we're still going at it, still finding homes, still trying to, you know, uh, help more people get into home ownership. And, and that's had its challenges. But yeah, we're still able to, to do that and, and doing that quite a bit as well. So when you talk about programs, and thank you for, for your insights, because I think I had the same the same fear at the very, very beginning of the pandemic about, you know, are my tenants going to pay? And I remember we had, you know, even with the Ray Club, just uh, discussions about what to do. And we had like a, you know, like those emergency, like 101, I can't remember what they were called, but meetings to, to you know, share with the information with investors and bring experts to talk about that. And, and I think ultimately for many people, you know, the fear was at least not realized in full where everybody stopped paying, right? And so like there's maybe a few, a few here and there, but it was still a small percentage. But I, but I do want, I do want to clarify programs because there might be somebody listening to this right now and be like, what is he talking about? What is rent to own? What is a program? How long is this program for when you're talking about people buying out early? Like, what does that mean? Is that like, or how long? So maybe maybe just let's 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 talk about that first, so that everybody is on the same page for you know what that strategy is. Yeah, absolutely. So rent to own, or now we call it rent to home programs, basically are anywhere from two to four years is our typical term length. More than more than often, it's about three years in length, and it's for someone that can't qualify for their conventional financing at the bank or at it with a mortgage lender or mortgage broker. They can't qualify usually because of their income their down payment or their credit score. So we put them through an underwriting process. Our team reviews their file and says, okay, based on those three things, income, down payment, credit score, you'll be able to buy a home in three years at a predetermined price. Today, you have a budget to go out and choose a home that you like at a predetermined budget. So a budget up to 500 or 600 or $700,000. And the clients actually get to go out and choose a home you know, with a realtor. We're not realtors. We work with uh, you know, a whole bunch of realtors. So if you are a realtor listening to this, we're not looking to steal your clients. That's always something that we, we hear from realtors. Oh, we're going to send over your clients. And then, no, we want to work with, uh, with, with realtors. Uh, but they actually get to go out and choose the home. So once they find the home, we purchase the home. When I say we, JAG Properties or JAG Properties along with a joint venture partner um, investor buys the home and the client gets to move into the home pretty much that day, like a normal purchase. Uh, they get to move into that home, you know, after 30, 60, 90 days, whatever the closing period is. And then they get to enjoy that home. While they're in that home, they're going to be working on making sure they're claiming the right amount of income, saving up the right amount of down, down payment and increasing and improving their credit score so that they can qualify for conventional financing or a mortgage at the end of the rent-to-own program. So simply put, yeah, somebody that can't qualify, we buy the home, they fix what they need to do, and then they buy the home back from us at the end of the term. And yeah, when they buy out early, that's actually something that we've been starting to incorporate in the last three, four years is actually early buyout dates. So if clients can qualify earlier, then we want them to become a home owner earlier as well. If we need to extend the program, we can do that as well. Great. I think that you've given some really good options for people who actually aren't able to, you know, jump in at that moment and buy the home. So my question now is as an investor, let's say I wanted to get involved in your program. How would that, how, what would that look like? You know, what would you need from, from my end and what would be the, the gain for me? What's the ROI for me in that, in that case? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And uh, so, you know, traditionally we, we work with, with investors that can come up with the capital down for, for the, uh, uh, for the home, basically 20% or so, plus qualifying for the finance. It's not actually the 20% though, because the the investor gets the benefit from the client's initial option consideration of the deposit that they have. So if the tenant buyer is providing a 5% down payment, that actually reduces the investor's down payment or 20% amount by that, that 5%. They qualify for the financing. Um, 
and we essentially do the rest. They're going to be on title of the home. We're following up with the client. We've already, you know, underwritten the client or, or screened the client to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for the rent to own. But we're following up with that client, making sure that they're doing all those things to stay on track to own the home. And we're reporting to our investor uh, typically every three to four months or so to make sure that, you know, property is in good shape, client is still on track to qualify for the financing. And in that example, our investors are making anywhere between, you know, 16, 17, 18% annual ROI or more when they're qualifying for the financing and providing the down payment. Now, the second way is uh, a capital only investment. So that uh, that's where JAG, we qualify for the financing uh, and uh, of the home. The same process, the client chooses the home, they're underwritten in our process. And now we go to our investors or joint venture partners for the balance or the deposit needed uh, to, to buy the home. Again, use, uh, utilizing uh, the client's option consideration or, or the amount of deposit or down payment the client has to begin the program as well too. And typically in those uh, scenarios, our investors are making anywhere around 9% annual appreciation on just their capital only investment. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by usproperties.ca. Are you looking to invest in turnkey U.S. real estate that provides exceptional cash flow and appreciation? If so, reach out to James at james at usproperties.ca or visit the company website usproperties.ca for more information. And now back to the show. So there's two options. I think that's new, right? Where you guys are now going on title. I don't think you yes. did that last time. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's something that because of our business model, because of uh, our, our institutional lending that we're able to qualify for, yeah, we're able to go on title as well and, and, and provide that option. Because some investors don't want to be on title, can't qualify for financing, and just want to invest the, the capital as well, too. So that's an option. Yeah, that's right. That's probably been in the last yeah, two or so years, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to tell with COVID, the time frame. But, uh, <laughs> it seems yeah, like probably. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you've got you've got a few different options and this is a three-year program and usually the the buyer or the the prospective tenant buyer will bring in a little bit of capital to start right like what's the minimum that you guys would require for something like that yeah our minimum is three percent of the purchase price so if they're qualified for say a five hundred thousand dollar purchase price they would need a minimum of fifteen thousand so if that's the issue they don't have the five percent or ten percent or if they've had some credit blips and they need 20% at the bank, the minimum that they need is 3%. That's some, you know, some skin in the game, some something for the client to say, hey, this is that I'm putting into. So um, that, that's the minimum that we require for them to start the program. And that's, you know, another level of security for us and for our investors that these clients are not just putting in, you know, first and last month's rent. This is, you know, harder money when you're putting in a minimum of 15,000 and for 500,000 these days, you know, you're not really getting much. So even more, 20 plus thousand dollars, clients are really committed and, you know, some of them, it's, you know, their life savings that they've put down towards the purchase of their home. So they're really committed to the program. So that's good. So they have some skin in the game. And then I guess the investor partner that you would bring into the deal would, if they're not financing or they can finance, I guess that's, that's one thing, but they would bring in the rest to equal to 20% down plus the closing costs, land transfer, like legal costs, that kind of stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, you got it. You got it. So they're, they're qualifying as if it was, you know, I guess a normal rental property where they're qualifying for the 20% or sorry, they're putting down the 20% investment plus, yeah, the closing costs, legals, land transfer, all that kind of stuff. So, okay. So then that happens. And then the tenant buyer then will rent and then they will rent 
So I think there's two types of payments, right? There's two contracts. There's one that's like a regular, like Ontario standard lease. And then there's a different contract. What is the additional contract that's different with rent home? Yeah, you yeah, you got it. The Ontario standard lease contract, that's pretty similar to anybody that is renting a property, the Ontario standard lease agreement that's signed, as well as the purchase option contract. So that is the secondary contract that the clients, that that's where they are, you know, pretty much guaranteeing, you know, their money that they've put down the 20,000 plus, you know, how much extra they're going to be paying or, or what they're paying that's going to actually be credited back to them at the end of the program. So if they're paying another $700 a month, plus that initial deposit, that is actually credited back to them then be used for their down payment or their deposit when they go qualify at the bank or at the lender at the end of the program. So that's what's basically kind of securing them or guaranteeing them what you know what they put down at the beginning as well as their monthly payment so people say well how much does that usually cost it's different for everyone right because sarah and i could be qualified for the same purchase price but if sarah has more of a down payment and i need to save up more then my payments are going to be slightly higher because i need to save up more so that is uh tailored for every program but those are the two contracts that we that we assign the ontario standard lease as well as the purchase option contract that um you know basically helps the client or guarantees the client what their deposit uh, will be uh, credited back to them. Great. And so does that mean the rent stays the same throughout the three-year term or is there any rental increase? As well as what about the property management? If that if the is, does the investor play the role of a landlord as well or do you guys play that role or is it the role of the tenant and they take care of that? How does that work? Yeah, so for your first question, the client knows exactly what they're going to be paying for. If it's a three-year term, all 36 payments are going to be the exact same. That doesn't change throughout the program. So we kind of slightly adjust it, knowing that probably taxes, insurance will slightly go up, you know, throughout that time period. But that payment stays the same for those 36 months. The property management, it's more about people management. So our investors, our joint venture partners, don't have to worry about any of that. We manage all that for our clients. The rent collection, the option consideration payment, each month is being collected by us. We're following up with the clients if they're not paying, as well as the property management you know, the, the clients, the tenant buyers in the in the homes are actually going to be responsible for all the maintenance, upkeep and, and, you know, taking care of the property. But we're also following up with them. Typically, quarterly, we're visiting the property, making sure all the general maintenance is taken care of, you know, wintertime that, you know, ease are cleaned and, you know, and there's no water backing up and the smoke detectors, furnace filters, all the general maintenance. And it's actually the amazing part of this program is that we see a lot of our clients not just taking care of the general maintenance that comes up in home ownership, they're actually improving the homes, finishing basements and washrooms and kitchens, adding on additions or garages, landscaping, all different types of things, because they know they're gonna own that home, or at least that's the plan, they're gonna own that home. So they're adding these types of things. So we're following up to make sure that the bare minimum is taken care of and the property is in good shape and maintained. Um, but in most cases, a lot of the tenant buyers, the clients are actually improving the home because they're gonna own that home. So any additional work that adds equity, they're going to be able to benefit from that. So, um, but again, we're, we're following up to make sure our joint venture partners, investors, it's really a hassle-free hands-off for them. We're managing that for them. So the investors are coming in with the money, the financing, you're coming in as the active partner and you're kind of bridging the, the deal, right? Bringing in the tenant buyers and you're bringing in the investors for a percentage. It's kind of like a joint venture agreement uh, with an active partner and more of a passive partner. So you've got that. And then, you know, there's additional cash flow from uh, the options payments. You've got obviously the appreciation, which you don't account for uh, in things like that. However, there is an appreciation that you do account for estimating a purchase price at the end of the term. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. We, we predetermined that future purchase price. So first of all, 
our clients know, the tenant buyers know exactly what they're going to be buying the home for at the end of the term. And the reason that's so important is because when we're qualifying these clients, we know what their income is. We know how much down payment they're going to have. We know what their credit score needs to be. So they need to know what they're going to be able to qualify for. It can't be a moving target and say, well, we'll see what the market can bear. If we did that, think about what would have happened in the last two years when purchase prices you know, increase by 20 plus percent per year. So we kind of actually reverse engineer it and know what they're gonna be able to qualify for. So that's probably one of the biggest determining factors of you know, using some very conservative estimations on you know, increasing in income, saving up the down payment and credit scores improving. That's typically how we base what the client's gonna be able to qualify for or how we determine that future purchase price. Um, in most markets, We've seen, you know, we're, we're going to be very, you know, very lower under what the market appreciation is, especially the last two years where we don't use 25, 30% increase in purchase prices. Somewhere usually around four to 6% uh, appreciation per year is what is on, on, uh, on, on the property or, or from the purchase price that we buy the home. And it's very predictable for our investors as well, so that they know what that purchase price will be at the end of the term, as well as, you know, they can, um, they can work on what the cash flow each month is going to be as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that the last two years. Talk to me a little bit more about that. What happened when the homes you sold at pre-COVID prices were then ready to, their terms are ready to end, and we hit this crazy market where we saw rising prices that we haven't seen in, in you know, decades. And what did that look like for your company? Were you guys worried? How did you uh, how did you manage that? Because, you know, we, all of us in the in the real estate industry were mind blown. So how did that work for you and your company? Yeah, absolutely. For, for us, we always use that predetermined appreciation. So we knew what our profit was going to be monthly. We knew what our profit was, was going to be at the end. We just wanted to make sure that our, our appreciation was keeping pace with the market or slightly lower so that the properties could appraise. When we did see that huge increase in purchase price, you know, we were like, wow, our clients, if they're going to stick to our program, they're going to make a lot of equity. And actually just this week, or sorry, just last week, we had one of our clients that they were agreed that the, the agreement was to buy the home back. at I think it was just over $520,000. When they got the appraisal back from the bank, it was over $900,000. So that's like almost a half a million in equity. And we're so happy for these clients because they paid on time every month. They were great clients. They took care of the property. It was an amazing family just outside of London. And, you know, that's the benefit of they, you know, no one could have predicted 20, 25% increases in the market. However, these clients were diligent. They improved their credit score. They saved up the down payment they needed. They got the income. They, well, they had the income. They just maintained that, right? They didn't quit their jobs or anything like that. And that's the benefit that we, we were able to profit. We were still making those returns that, you know, 16, 17, 18% plus per year. And that's a great return. I don't care what anybody says. Sure, you know, you could think about it and say, oh, we left money on the table, but we're not greedy. We we know that was a healthy profit. We got we started the program thinking, hey, that's a great profit for us. We're helping a family get into home ownership and our investors were happy. Now we sold that home back. And of course, now they have 500,000 plus of equity in their home, but that's a win, win, win for us. We won because, you know, our, 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 us and our investors are able to make money. The investors won um, because they got a great return and as well as the tenant buyers. Now they're into their home um, with, with amazing equity. And now we're actually talking about them investing back into a rent-to-own program with some of the equity that they got. And for me, that's full circle. Is that another family helping a family to get into home ownership? And that to me is you can't beat that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I can tell you're really passionate about, about actually helping your tenants and your clients. And I think, 
I think there's something to be said about that. Like, you know, if you go in with that intention that like you want to make a difference and you want to help, you know, help them rise up as well. It, it did come back full circle. And as you're mentioning, they're able to reinvest. Now, another problem I wanted to ask you about was our low inventory now. How is that working for you? And what does it look like that, you know, two years ago, your your clients were able to buy a home for 520 and, you know, coming back around that same home is now 920. So what's that looking like for the type of clients you were targeting previously for that initial 540 home? And what's that looking for them like for them now that that same home is now 920? And with the lack of inventory, 60 bids going in for, you know, 1,000 square foot bungalow in Hamilton, you know, an example of, uh, of where the market's been going. How's that been looking like for your clients and, and, and your company? Yeah, I think it's all about patience. It really is. And, and that's where we've been trying to help with our clients. Again, before, if we had a client going out that was approved, they would make one, two offers maybe at the most, and they would get into a property. Now we're seeing that we're going to have to go in and look at, you know, many, many properties. So with the lack of inventory and, and you know, multiple offers, you know, there was one situation, I think there was 14 or 15 different offers on one specific property. And again, that's what it is. It is patience. We're continuing to go through. So what we've seen is the clients that want that are really motivated to get into home ownership they're sticking through it just like anybody that wants to go and buy that home as an investor to buy a rental property somebody that's going to buy their primary residence they're they, you know there's that patience there's a lot more competition in the market there's a lot more people or less inventory i guess more competition and less inventory it's like a crazy perfect storm uh which is has increased the purchase price to your first point or I guess your second point, sorry, I kind of went backwards there. Um, but yeah, with the increased purchase prices, we've had to increase our minimums. Before, we would have somebody that, you know, made $60,000, $70,000 of income, and they were able to get into that market where, you know, it was four or $500,000. But we've had to increase the minimum incomes so that people can actually qualify. Because we wouldn't be doing our, our tenant buyers a favor saying, hey, you're, we're going to put you into an $800,000 home when at the end, you only be able to qualify for $600,000. That's not our goal. That's not going to get to them to ownership. That's just going to get them perpetually renting, and that that's not our model. So we've had to increase the in, um, the amount of, of income that our clients make. Um, so you know that that's kind of left some people you know out of the program. But the clients that are making that income that don't have enough deposit or down payment for the home uh, that the credit score has suffered or has been bruised. You know those are the uh, those are the clients that we can help. It's tough for us to say, hey get a better job or make more income, you know, that's, it's easy to say, but it's tough to do. So that's how we've kind of combated that or, or our company's evolved a little bit more patience. Um, we, we've been really, we've had, we've been uh, like uh, surprisingly very fortunate this year so far in a competitive market that we still won some offers. We know what our top line or our maximum purchase price is. So the, the realtors that we've been working with know the strategy to deploy when we know what that purchase price is. We're not buying on emotion. We're still buying as an investor of what our top number is or what our max purchase price is. Sometimes our clients get wrapped up and oh, there's multiple offers and we need to add, we need to offer more and need to go higher. But again, we're not going to do them any favors by getting caught up in that emotion and offering higher. We need to stick to that budget. So that's how we've been able to adapt and still win, you know, quite a bit of uh, a business this year and help more people get into the program. Great. And another question I had was, do you guys only buy on market or do you also do off market? And if I had a home and I wanted to sell that home, could I come to you and say, hey, I'm looking to sell. I love your program. I want I want to be part of that program. Is that something that you offer to others? 
Yes, absolutely. So, you know, most of the most of the time, I would say probably you know, 80 to 90 percent of the programs has been on market on MLS. Clients have looked at it. Realtors have gone out and searched it. And even some people that we know have listed their home for uh, for for sale. And uh, our clients have chosen that home. Uh, but we have bought off market as well, too. Actually, in some cases, the clients have actually bought the home that they're renting so that the, the landlord is looking to sell. They want to maximize what they can get and, and purchase or, or sell the home on the market. And we said, okay, before you list it, let's see if the numbers work and actually buy the home that the clients are in so that they don't even have to move. They like the home. They don't, they don't want to leave or, you know, disrupt or change schools for their kids. Um, and we've actually bought a few off market as well too, where again, they've been pocket listings where the realtors had it or the client um, has, you know, had a connection. And again, if there is a home, like I know, and you know, I've kind of say this jokingly, but you know, I think it's two, I'm pretty sure it's two that we've gone from Sarah has actually listed her rental properties. Clients of ours have seen it for a listing. Now that was technically on market, but if there was an investor that said, Hey, I have, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to rent anymore. I want to move on. I want to change strategies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's absolutely, please get in touch with me because if we can buy that home, especially in the areas, you know, Brantford were, were the two that we bought from Sarah, London and surrounding area, Southwestern Ontario. Absolutely. We'd be interested in purchasing that home. We always in, in, um, use the client first strategy so the client can find the home. But in, you know, we've been able to adapt and shift where now we're, we'd be able to buy, if it's good inventory, we'll be able to buy the home and pair that up with a client for sure. Because again, the clients are going to want to live in these areas that are desirable. So um, yeah, absolutely. Off market, on market, wherever the client, it makes sense for that client, schools, family, wherever they want to live, that's where we'll buy the home. You know, what's, what's funny is I, I only sold two properties since I started investing in real estate and you actually, you know, indirectly purchased both of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Our clients love them. And you know what? I think that first one, and I won't say the name, but it was like in the little Italy or the old little Italy part of, uh, of Brantford. Our client is about a month away. I think we've just received preliminary. Now they're actually going to own the home and they're buying it back from us. So that must have been cool. at least two and a half, three years ago now, because if the client is coming towards the end of the rent-to-own program. So yeah, small world. Time, time flies for sure. So, okay. So aside from the rent-to-own, I mean, it sounds like a great opportunity. You know, what else are you doing for yourself in terms of deals? I think you started doing some burrs. Like talk to us about like your personal non-jag investing life. Yeah, for sure. I, I invest in some of our rent-to-own programs because I know what I'm investing in. And, and sometimes I, 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 I don't want to know too much because I'm just like, okay, I just want to invest and be that passive investor. Um, but now up to uh, seven rental units, duplexes, triplexes. Uh, that first bird that I did, the worst mistake I made was that it was around the corner from my house. I think I was there every day, you know, with the contractors and hanging out with them. But I learned a lot as well, too, of the construction process and kind of seeing a house all open up. So that was really fun because, you know, hearing Sarah talk about birds for years and years, I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. So that one is, you know, it's cash flowing great. That's in Hamilton. That's, a, you know, really appreciated as well, too, because I bought that. Actually, we closed right before the beginning of COVID. So it was really perfect timing on that one there. I should have bought like five more at the time now thinking back but uh and as well too um uh, in, in port stanley there's uh the beach cottages as well too so in in the summer in the summer season weekly rentals uh and then in the off season uh renting them out you know from the off season from pretty much from september till may or mid-may or something like that um so yeah that, that i'm looking to grow my portfolio as well too um in terms of more of those rentals i like the small duplexes triplexes i think if i were to get into larger you know apartments and things like that i'd probably want you know a partner or two that have kind of 
gone through that, you know, uh, those uh, examples or, or those situations before just to kind of get a better understanding. Um, but yeah, the, the rental market is, is great. And, and it's funny, those, like I said, seven or so rental units that I self-manage, I probably get more phone calls and headaches and landlord tenant board issues than on the like 200 plus rent to own properties that we have just the difference of client. Right. So, um, but it's fun. It's fun to see. And it's, you know, continuing to grow and, and it's sometimes hard to get, you know, that shiny penny syndrome, right. Looking at different strategies and different things like that. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the rentals uh, that that's what kind of I'm doing on uh, from my personal standpoint uh, with other partners as well. Amazing. That's awesome. Alfonso. So, as you know, the next part is our lightning round, my lightning rounds, and we're going to ask you five questions. You're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind, but you know what? I'm going to just switch them up and I'm going to let Aisha just randomly come up with questions as well. It'll be like fast fire. You just give us the first answer within like less than 10 seconds that comes to mind. You're ready to play. Love it. And don't you love that, Aisha, when just Sarah just puts you on the spot and says, come up with some great questions. I, I have no qu- extra questions. It's like, quickly come up with questions. It's gonna, a lightning, gonna, it's a lightning round on, for you, too. We're going to put you on the hot seat. All right. Hot seat, Alfonso. Okay. All right. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right. What is the biggest mistake you have made in 20 seconds or less? Ooh, biggest mistake I've ever made. I think making an investment with too much emotion, right? And just thinking about all the emotional facets around it and really involving things that I shouldn't have involved and kind of, you know, forgetting, stick to the numbers. That's that's the important part. Stick to the numbers and, and bring too much emotion into investing. It's probably the biggest mistake. Awesome. Okay, great. That's great. My favorite question to ask anyone is, if you knew then what you know now, what's one thing that you would tell yourself to do or not to do? Oh, wow. I would, I would tell myself to, to buy that first rental property, no matter what, like start as early as possible, not be scared. I used to think you need millions and millions of dollars to buy real estate. Start earlier. That, that's, you know, I read the Rich Dad Poor Dad book earlier, start investing earlier, starting educa- self-educating myself about financial education much earlier. That, that's the advice I'd give to a, a younger version of myself. All right. Very cool. Question number three, how many hours a week do you work? Oh, well, that's a good question. So I'd I'd like to say around like the 30 to 40, sometimes it's like 60, sometimes it's 20. It varies. It definitely varies. Um, You know what, if I thought about it as work, I would say I don't work. I really love most, most of the conversations, most of the things that I do, this kind of stuff. You know, I guess we've been working. This is, you know, work. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The average forty. If I'm working less than that, I feel like I got to put in more time. I got to do something, right? I'm still, still young. I, you know, I'm thinking about that future retirement. I'm trying to do stuff today that my future self will thank me for. So it's not about the hours. It's about actually enjoying what I'm doing. And as the team has grown, I've been able to do more of that stuff and less of the the things that I'm not necessarily good at or don't like. Right. Uh, I think 40 hours a week, that's a society thing. They've told us if we don't work 40 hours, we haven't put in our time, but I, I think we all probably work way more than that anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, who would you say would has been your most influential in, in any aspect, author or, or just anyone, you know, in your 
self-growth journey. In my, yeah, for sure. There's a close family member of mine. I consider him a big brother. He's from a young, young ages. I've always looked up to him. He's just, he's very well-rounded, you know, the book smarts, the, you know, the, the intuition. Uh, he's always been a, a mentor of mine. I, like, again, I consider him a big brother. So he's the first guy that I go to for advice, bounce ideas off of, you know, share thoughts, the crazy ideas, you know, the emotional stuff, you know, personal and business, you know, definitely he's uh yeah, he, he's, he's my big bro. So that, that's my, uh, that, that's the person that I own. Very cool. Last question. If you can have a conversation or spend a day with anybody in the world, who would it be? Oh, that is a good one. Okay. You know what? I think, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of them, but I think if there was one, one person, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of athletes. Oh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I don't want to go that direction, but let me think one person that I'd want to have a conversation dead, with. dead or alive. Yeah. You know what? This is, I'm going to go on the personal side. It would be with my nono, my grandfather. No, uh, we lost him in uh, 2015. And you know what? It's doesn't seem that long ago, but it seems long ago. And it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be anything, but just to be like, Hey, how's it going? I have a son now, you know, talk to him about that, but that would probably be uh yeah, that'd probably be the one person that I'd, I'd want to talk to. There's a whole bunch of amazing people that I want to right. probably pick their brain, Einstein and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, if there was one, that would be, it'd be my nono, my grandfather, my nono Luigi. Amazing. Alfonso, so let me, where can people reach out and find out more? Yeah, definitely get in contact with us on the website, jagproperties.com, J-A-A-G properties.com. Send email to info at jagproperties.com. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to help out and, uh, and talk more. So thank you guys so much for, for having me on today. And uh, Aisha, you're doing great. You are under the tutelage of Sarah Larby, podcast host extraordinaire. You're going to be amazing. If I can say she's been really great in my growth in terms of interviews and these types of things. And uh, you were awesome today as well too, Aisha. And Sarah, you already know you're awesome, but, oh, uh, but thank you guys so much. <laughs> and, uh, and ironically, We've got two podcasts that now you and I are hosting and the tables are turning. So on that note, Alfonso, you are awesome too. Thank you. And I will see you very shortly for another podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. 
And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.